Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to pray for our time in the Word. Thank you, Father, for making us free, for allowing us to come together to hear the reading and um, delivering and preaching of your Word, Lord God. I pray that you would illuminate the Word right now. Lord God, in our hearts, whatever you have for us right now, Lord God, that you need us to hear, that you need to sink into our hearts, Lord God. I pray that we will hear you. I pray that we will be doers of the word and that it will be written on our hearts, Lord God. I pray that you would be with Jay Will as he preaches, Lord God, today, that you would help him to bring forth the word that you have placed in his heart and that he will continue to show your glory off for all of your people, Lord God. We ask all of these things humbly in your son's holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You may have your seats. You may have your seats. Thank you, family. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Jerry Wilson. Everybody calls me Jay Will. Um, we are in the middle of our series through the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we started off on, uh, we got to the middle of chapter 16. We'll be in 16 for another week after this week. Uh, but last week, we talked about trusting God's plan, that God has a plan for our life. And as we are following his plan, the last thing we left off on is that God is not surprised when we're trusting his plan that it may lead us to hard situations. But he is not surprised about our troubles and the hard situations that we lead into. Our Paul and Silas uh, last week, they were praying and presenting the gospel. They, they preached the gospel to this lady named Lydia who sold purple. And they were staying at her house in Philippi. And then afterwards, they met this young lady who was being prostituted by these men that they were using her gift of divination, meaning she could see visions, and she was testifying that these are servants of the Most High God. And Paul, in his, funny enough, his, uh, his anger, his, his frustration with this woman continuously following him, he cast the spirit out of them. And we ended off saying, seeing how as Paul and Silas was following the, the Spirit of God, they were trusting God's plan, how they were left in shackles. Just taking a look back at verse 23 to 24 before we dive in, it says, the crowd joined in that attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison, secured their feet in the stock. We have Paul and Silas right now just trusting in God's plan, following God's plan, and following God's plan, it has led them to some hardships and some problems. So what do we do when we're following God's plan, and it leads us to a place where we feel like all we see is darkness around us, as Psalm 88 says, darkness is my best friend. 
How do we trust God in dark times? How do we look to his plan and see that his plan is actually for his glory and for the betterment of the betterment of everyone around us? All of us, if we follow Christ, if we pursue after him, we will fall sometimes into dark times. Brittany Usain, she wrote an article, she works for Crew Magazine, and she wrote an article of how to trust God even in difficult times. This is what she writes. She says, life is not predictable. There are ups and downs along the way. Many of us want to trust God. When times are good, it can feel easier. But when times feel difficult, it is even more important to trust God. God's unchanging character can give us a firm foundation when things feel unsteady and uncertain. Life can be going along smoothly for a season. Your job is satisfying. Your friends and family are enjoyable. Your goals, finances, health, and outlook seem bright. Then, all of a sudden, life throws a curveball. Someone you know gets sick possibly die. You lose your job. A friend or family member betrays you. The things you felt secure in all of a sudden feel shaky and uncertain. How do you trust God in these circumstances? How do you trust him when you do not understand what's happening, when you cannot see a resolution? Have you been there? Have you been there in a place where it felt like everything was going good, then just just, just turn? It's like, what just happened? I like it to call it the proverbial rug being snatched from under my feet. What just happened? God, we were good just a day, a week ago. What's going on? Well, family, that is something that comes with trusting God, looking to him, that he knows there are hard times ahead of many of us when we're following him. But what do we do when those hard times come in? Today in our text, we're going to see not only what do we do, but why we do it, and what we're hoping is the end result of all the things we do. Starting on verse 25, Paul and Silas had been locked in this prison in the darkest place in the prison. Literally, it says, in the innermost, where there's no lights. We find Paul and Silas with scarves on their backs, clothes ripped off, darkness all around them in verse 25. At midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I think we could take a note from Paul and Silas' book right here. It's because they look to God for joy and not their current circumstances. Listen, there will be times when we will be in dark places, and if we're looking at those dark places, we will not find joy there. But Paul and Silas showed us they were singing and praying to God. It's actually this irony in the text because the way it talks about their praying and singing actually displays the sense of joy that comes out of it. We'll actually see that at the end because the text ends with rejoicing. But here in their dark moment, they were praying and singing. But the only way we're able to do that, this isn't something they were just able to muster up out of themselves. This was something they already had a pattern of doing. If we look early on what we preached last week in verse 13 on, in chapter 16, on the Sabbath day when they went outside the city by the river, what were they doing? They went somewhere where we were expected to find a place of prayer. 
So before the circumstances came, they already were known for going to find a place to pray, and that is where Lydia gave her life to the Lord. Then a few days later, in verse 16, once as we were on our way to prayer, this is how the interaction with the slave girl who had the spirit of divination came upon them. They were on their way to prayer. They had a constant practice of praise and prayer at all times before the circumstances got bad. Family, if you are a believer, it is our practice to praise and pray at all times before circumstances come. We cannot just wait for hard times to come to say, I'm going to have faith then. No, this is something you practice before then. This is something you practice before the circumstances change. This is something you practice before all problems come. You have to look to God for joy and not your current circumstances. My question for you is, do you seek the peace of God through prayer and praise on a regular basis, despite your current circumstances? Or are you like most of us currently consumed by what life is throwing at you? Where do you place your focus? Have you put in a constant routine of seeking God's kingdom first? What Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 6, if you seek my kingdom first, all these things will be added unto you. Have you created a routine of seeking his kingdom first? Or do you wait when all things are falling around you? This is what Paul was trying to get at when he wrote the book of Romans. He said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, those who have faith, this is how we find peace. And the only real peace we can find, not is finding peace in this world, but first finding peace with God. Being justified before God, trusting God at all times. This is what he's getting at in verses 1 through 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But we don't just boast in this hope when things are going well. He says, not only that, we can also boast in our afflictions. See, when you're boasting when things are going well, it's a little easier to boast when things aren't going well. When your afflictions come. Verse 3 through 5, he says, not only that, can, but we can also boast in our afflictions because we know that our afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given to, who has given it to us. He's saying, when we're boasting in our good times, when affliction comes, we can boast in him, and it will build up this character in us that will give us joy and hope, something to look forward to, putting our trust in him, not being persuaded by our, our circumstances, but looking to him for joy and hope, trusting him despite our circumstances. Where's your focus today? Are you looking at what's going on around you? Or are you turning your attention and looking to God? 
because he is the only one in afflictions that can give hope, and he is the only one that makes sense of all of our circumstances and everything we deal with in our life, in our dark times, in our hard times, in our struggles, in our depressions, in the nights when we sit up and can't sleep. He is the only one that gives that a purpose and give it a hope. Billy Graham wrote in his devotional day by day, he said, don't let circumstances distress you. Rather, look for the will of God for your life to be revealed in and through those circumstances. Billy Graham was trying to get at. He said, hey, hey, don't let this get you down. Look to God, trust God, and ask God, reveal to me what is happening in this, and God, how can it be used for your glory? When we look to God and look to give him the glory despite everything going on around us, we see what happened in the later part of verse 25 through 27. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here they are. These, this must be a strange scene. These guys in shackles, they bleeding all over the place, probably hyperventilating. They said, praise the Lord, I'm free. They, they singing and worshiping God, and the prisoners looking like, what is going on here? How do these guys seem so happy despite their circumstances? How do these guys seem to have joy despite what they're currently going through? See, when we trust God in hard times, this gives others a chance to witness God's faithfulness through our faith. The prisoners were getting an opportunity to see what does it mean to truly put all your eggs in this basket and hold on to his unchanging hands and trust that he will move and do something. Prisoners were looking at him strange. And then Luke writes here in verse 26, kind of this transition, this suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. Now, when he puts suddenly here, he's trying to indicate something that Theophilus, the, or the one who's reading this, uh, this document, he's trying to help him understand God's about to do something. Suddenly only shows up three times in the book of Acts. The first time is when Peter was in prison in chapter 4, when he was in prison, and then he was released from the prison to go back into the temple gates and continue to preach the gospel after healing a man. The next time it comes up is in chapter 11. Peter's in prison between two prison guards. An angel comes in, and suddenly he's freed. And right now, Luke is trying to indicate there's another sudden taking place. God is moving on behalf, hearing the cries of his people. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. Now, an earthquake in this time, in this region, isn't that strange. It's actually an area that's very known for earthquakes. But an earthquake that shook to the point where the jail itself shook and the doors had to open and the chains fell off, that's an indication this is something different taking place. And this is for the prisoners that's around him to witness, but as we'll see in a few minutes, also for the jailer to, to see, oh, they must worship and trust someone stronger than anyone I know. You see, how we praise God and trust God is always on display for others who are questioning, can they trust him? How we live before God, how we seek his face, how we seek him in the good times and the hard times is on display so others who are looking at us like we're kind of strange saying, can I, what is going on? Can we really trust this? 
Yesterday, um, we went prayer walking, and we had this very interesting indication, uh, um, and not, not an incident, a very interesting encounter with this man that says, you're supposed to pray in private because you ain't supposed to be showing your prayers on display. You're doing it wrong. Y'all are wrong for doing this. But see, the thing is, when you're living publicly, not for the sake of being seen by others, but for the sake of God's glory, it gives others an opportunity to see your God on display. This is why Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. He says, for to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are the aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? Paul was writing to the church of Corinth saying, your life is on display before those who will believe and those who will reject. Your life is fully on display. For some of them, it is a sweet aroma that will draw them closer and say, what must I do? How can I trust this God? For others, it is a aroma of stench. Because how dare you tell me I'm a sinner and I'm separated from my holy God? How dare you? We are on display, and God is using our life, our worship, our sacrifice through our prayer walks, through the preaching of his word, through our worship service, through when we come together. He's using it and putting it on display to be a sweet aroma to prayerfully draw many close by. This is what... God was setting them up and through his sovereign plan, making sure that they would be in place to be in prison in Philippi so that these prisoners will witness. And also as we move on, that the jailer may witness. I have this question for you. How may God be setting up your life right now for others to witness your faith now? How may, may he be setting you up to be a sweet aroma to some, but also a stench of death to others? Who may he be putting around you in your circumstances, whether good or bad, for you to draw them closer or for them to repel away because of your, because of your faith in Christ? If you are already seeing some people in your mind, start to pray, God, draw those who are yours to yourself. And those who are not yours, help me to speak boldly before them. And if they reject, Father, continue. I will continue to pray on their behalf. Prayerfully, one day you may draw them. Who may he be putting around you? Paul and Silas had the prisoners around him, and now we see the jailer. He's introduced in verse 27. It says, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, that seemed like kind of a dramatic, uh, overdramatic response. Like, this, this man had no control over earthquakes happening. But according to Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, the jailer who had, charged, who had charge of him was compelled to suffer the penalty that was, about to, be, that was, that was to have been inflicted on the prisoner. This account for the despair of the jailer in this case, he preferred death by his own hands to death by torture, which probably was the fate awaiting some of the prisoners whom he thought had escaped. 
This should show you that this man who had all power in his hand to control the the lives of these people in prison, even with all the power and authority that was given to him by the state, by the Roman government, he still did not have a hope or joy. He was still up the creek without a paddle, as the old folks like to say. This man, and this moment, in his great despair, he couldn't even explain to them, hey, they didn't get out because of anything I did. There was an earthquake. But in his despair, it was like, no, I, there's nothing I can do. I, there was over, he was overcome by shame and saw death as the only way out. I think about people in our neighborhood sometimes, how often they feel like the only way out is death. That's the only way they will find any pleasures in this life. That's the only way they will find any hope in this life. They are overcome by shame. Maybe there's some in your life that they can't find no way to find hope in this life, joy in this life, peace in this life. They are overcome by shame. Maybe that's you, overcome by shame. If that is you, let me tell you, there is one who will give you hope. There is one who has not turned his back on you. And if there is someone you know, there is one that you can put on display for them to draw to themselves, that you can show off that he is magnificent, praising him in all circumstances so your joy can be put on display so that they could possibly partake of this joy. This jailer was overcome by shame and wanted to die, was about to die at his own hand. But Paul called out in a loud voice, verse 28, don't harm yourself because we're all here. I love the note that the ESV study Bible puts on this. He says, they didn't view their freedom as a means of escape. However, but as an opportunity to witness. Like, I, I want you to catch that. They now, the, print, the chains are going off their wrists, the doors are flung open, and they had all right to walk out, but they said, no, this is an opportunity to show them how great my God is. Family, in your circumstances, God will give opportunities for you to witness. You might be able to walk away from it easy, but is that the best opportunity for someone else to know about your king? Is that, just because you have the easy way out, is that is the best way for others to know that Christ loves them, display them? And there are dark moments, it's sad to say, that these prisoners were more free than the man that had any power and authority over the prison. And when God intervened, they didn't look for how they could get something out of it, they looked for what they could give from it. And because of this, God shows how he saves other in darkness when we trust in him in our dark moments. When Paul calls out to him, the jailer, he calls for lights. This is an indication of how dark this prison actually is. He had to call, somebody bring lights, I can't see nothing. He rushed in, and when he saw them all sitting there, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he escorted them out. And ask this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
Now, that's a very interesting question because it isn't like Paul and Silas have now given him the gospel, and now he's like, how must I be saved? They, he recognizes the power of the God they've been singing to this whole time, the power of the God they've been putting their trust in this whole time, and he's like, how do I not box with that God? <laughs> how, how do I get to a place where I'm not contending against that God anymore? So many people in this neighborhood, we was talking to some guys yesterday, and they were, all their thoughts was, I got to get myself right. I got to get myself right. And I'm like, you can't. You can't contend with God. You can't fix your issues. But there is one who can. There is one you can put your trust in. They said, don't look to us for it. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And not just you, but he ain't going to just change your life, but he's going to change your whole household's life. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They preached to him. They presented the gospel to him, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, how he has all the power in his hand now, and how they, he, can require, he can gain life through the same Jesus. He told, they told it to him, and then they told it to everybody in his household. I do think this is a funny picture. The jailer went in got the prisoners, and then took them to the house. I don't know if y'all been to a prison before or to a jail before. If you have, you know, that's your business, but it ain't that easy to walk in and bring some guys out. Yet that means this man has such authority. He has such control over the jail. He's basically the warden of the jail. He had all rights to walk in and bring them into his house. These men who were once in chains, but now they're free, and he is trying to find how they got that freedom. I, I, I'm watching a documentary, um, and we're talking about possibly doing a showing of it. It's called Unspoken. And it's talking about the black presence in the Bible. And one part of the uh, documentary, it talks about slaves in America. And why many slave masters, contrary to popular belief, didn't want the slaves to have Christianity. Did not want them to believe. The reason why, because chattel slavery in the 16 to 1800s actually was all about slaving the body, the mind, and the soul. They even tried to slow the slaves down from becoming Christians so much that they gave them a truncated Bible, literally called the Slave Bible. If you want a copy of it, you can go to the Bible Museum today and see it. It's literally this big. And it just conveniently leaves out books like Exodus how a group of slaves were made free because of God. But yet, even through a truncated gospel, these slaves knew enough about this Jesus that they saw that he was a liberating God. He was a saving God. He was the one who gave true freedom. And that's why the slave masters couldn't stand it, because even in chains, the slaves still felt free. Even in chains, the slaves still had his joy. Even in chains, they knew, my God is going to judge you, slave master. And one day, these chains will no longer hold me. I will be free indeed. That is the gospel. That is the Jesus who has come to us, us who are in the chains of sin in this world. He has come to make us free. And there is nothing in this world that can bound us down that he can't free us from. That's the same Jesus who intervened during slavery and because of Christian men and women raised up a generation of people to break the hands of slavery in this world. And this is the same Jesus who is still doing this work today. 
Those who slaves to addiction, those who are slaves to depression, those who are slaves to life circumstances, he is the God that comes and breaks those chains. And that is what we're seeing take place. Even though the prison guard was not in chains, he was in chains of his sin. He was bound. He was standing as in contention with God. He was an enemy before God. Yet they had something that gave him hope. These prisoners who were truly saved, they were truly free, got something that would give them hope. And they spoke these words to him and his whole household. And he took them at the same hour of night. He washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family all were baptized. He brought them into his household, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his whole entire household. I love how the Christian, uh, the Christian father, John Christensen, said it. He said, the jailer washed them and was washed. Those he washed from their stripes himself, he was washed from his sins. He fed them and he was fed. He was fed the word of the Lord and rejoiced, it says. Although there was nothing but words, only in good hope, believe, but having believed in God and with all his household. What John was trying to get at, he said, the same ones who were beaten and torn and broken down was the same one God used to wipe the sins of the one who beat them and broke them down. God saved this wicked man, this wicked jailer, through the hands of the victim. <laughs> he saved them through the hands of their victim. It's had me thought and thinking. I was uh, meditating on Psalm 23, verse 5. This is a very popular verse about how he will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And I always hear this verse in the idea of uh, my enemies will see me come up. You know? He gonna raise me above my enemies. But what if he's setting the table for you to invite your enemies to have a meal? What if he's setting the table before them so that the overflow of your life, the joy from your life, is the thing that literally draws them to worship this king? You know what? God ain't worried about the enemies you think you perceive about your life. He's more worried about the enemies that he has for his presence. Those who are separated from him. He's more worried that he has a relationship with them. How do we know this? Well, Paul writes to the church of Coloss. At Colossae, he says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the church. The body, the church, he is the beginning, the first son from the dead, so that he might, ha come, ha he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to, to have him all in his fullness dwell in him, and through him 
reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You'll probably say, well, what does that have to do about your enemies? Well, here's the reality, is that you and I were once enemies. Listen how it continues on. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil ways, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And this is the same thing he is using Paul and Silas, and this is the same thing he's going to use you and I, is to welcome others in, even those we have contention with, those we may be alienated against, those that might have some hostility towards us. He says, they're mine, though, because all things were made for me. You're no longer mine. You're not even mine. You're, you're not even yours. They're mine. You're mine. And I want to use you to bring them to me. Paul and Silas were used to bring the one that helped beat and victimize them. To see him come to joy and full rejoicing. This is what it means to trust God's plan. That he knows if I take you in these dark moments, if I, he knows when he puts you in these circumstances where people might talk bad about you, when people might hate on you, when people might have all these feelings towards you, he's using that so that he could possibly draw them in. And he's not as worried about what they're doing to you. He's worried about how you're acting before him. How are you looking to him? How are you trusting in him? <coughs> How are you letting him be the one who controls your circumstances in your life? So, Christian, I'll ask you this question. For all those who talk bad about the church today, who all those who talk bad about Christians, to all those who might just despise you for the sake of just they don't like you, how are you looking to God instead of them so that those who are far away from him might be brought in? And you're troubled times in your deep depression and your, your situations right now and your struggles right now, how are you looking to God so that all those who are watching you might be brought closer to him? Lastly, where are you looking to find your joy at this time? Is it in what's going on around you or the one who brings full joy? If you're not looking to him, today I tell you, look to him, trust in him. The one who says, I knew the circumstances you would deal with. I knew the issues you would deal with before you even got here. But I have overcome the world. I have made all things whole in me. So if you are in me and I am in you and I am in the Father, then you dwell now in a whole place. In a place where you are being made whole, slowly. Over time, and I will produce in you a hope for better circumstances, better situations, for a better day when you will no longer worry about the circumstances of this world, but you will be now glorified with me, glorified with me on my throne. Is that who you're looking to for hope today? 
Maybe you don't believe in that yet. Maybe you don't believe that that is a place for hope. Let me tell you why he is the one who for hope. As I read earlier in Colossians, he's the one who died for you and me. He was the one who took your shames on himself. He was the one who made all things for his glory, and he is the one who holds all things up, and he is inviting you to experience him today. We can trust this because he was the one who stepped down from perfection down from glory, lived a life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, that none of us could live. He was the one who wrongfully took our sins on himself, but he did it so we could be made right before a holy God. He was the one that was beaten and bled to death on a bloody cross where we rightfully deserve to be. Yet he did that so that our sins would be beaten and bloody on the cross. And all the things that happened to us, all those who wrongfully use us and, and abuse us, their sins are also up there and no longer on us. And then he went in a grave, but those sins also went in the grave. But three days later, when he came up, they didn't. He, they stayed dead. He is now alive. And if you trust and believe in him, as they told this jailer, you can find life today. If you believe these things, you can rejoice from this place, no longer bound by the sins and no longer bound by your shame. If you want to trust him today, I invite you. Come and find out. Ask anyone in the room, how can I be safe? Ask, where can I put my hope? And they will be happy to point you to the one that gives full joy. But if you already believe, I beg you, look to him despite what goes on around you. Because he's the only one we can truly trust at all times. Will you pray with me? Father, as we sang earlier, we are free. We're no longer bound and no more chains are holding us. We now can look to you and we can be made holding you. You are a good God who comes close to us in all circumstances at all times, and not surprised about what we face when we get there, but have already paved the way through your providence for your glory to be put on display in our lives. Father, I pray for those under the preaching of my words today that they heard your word clearly, that they hearts, their hearts were steered to love you more, to trust you more, and to put their hope in you more today. Father, I pray for those who may not know you yet, that you are steering in them their hearts, that you are drawing them to yourself, that one day we will all rejoice before your throne, knowing that we have been made whole in you. So Lord, receive this word of prayer and help us to continue to worship you as Paul and Silas did, despite their circumstances. Lift all these things up to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen.